0: And David, we're going to have a couple slides and then a couple discussion questions. You good to go? Okay. Sweet. Thank you, sir. If you could grab a Bible, there are Bibles around. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Admit you need help with someone giving you a Bible for one minute. Uh, And we'll get you a Bible or turn it on. It's on your phone like a lot of us do. Um, So we're going to be going through Luke 10. We already read the passage. It's the story of Mary and Martha. Last week, we talked about how God is giving us, as a community, Luke chapter 10 in the Bible as a vision. Our vision, our mission as a community is to be and to do Luke 10, and there's a lot of awesome stuff in Luke 10, and we talked about how it's kind of helpful to look at it visually, instead of going from like verse 1 to the very end, we're going to look at it visually as a mountain. So this is Mount Fuji, or Mount Luke 10, or Mount Revival, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Could you flip up the next slide there, buddy? Um, And so if you look, verse 1 starts out with this story, and then it goes down to the end of the chapter. But if you look at it visually, the base of the mountain is the most important part, right? You can't climb a mountain without a base. You can't have a mountain without a base. This is the foundation, the foundation of the mountain, the foundation of the chapter. Uh, In 2 Peter... Uh, Peter teaches us that Jesus is our foundation, our cornerstone, and our sure foundation. We've probably read that. It's all throughout the Old Testament, the idea of Jesus, God, being our cornerstone, the foundation upon which everything else in our life is built, everything else. He's the one thing. That's why that's down there. Um, and we got this cute little village here. So this is like our base camp. This is where we live as a community, as individuals. We live with God, our Fellowship with God being the number one priority, the most important thing in our life and the thing that we focus on here as well. And then from here, we make excursions into ministry. We are all called to be ministers, every single one. Minister isn't a title for a dudet or dude who went to seminary. Minister is a title of a Christian. As soon as the Spirit gets into you, you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ, amen? We are all called to be ministers. And those of us who are pastors, like Paul and I, and Steve, are called to train and equip you to do the ministry that God is calling you to do. And each and every one of you have ministry or ministries that God has uniquely gifted and talented you to be able to do. And so it's our job to help you fulfill the destiny that God has for your life. He has a destiny for each and every one of you. You're not here by random chance. He has a plan and he has a destiny. And that destiny is in part for you to serve him And help us change the world. Because that's what God's going to be doing in the days ahead. He's bringing a revival. He's bringing another great awakening in the very uh, near future. And we all get to be a part of that, which is amazing. Um, But even more than that, God has called you to be something other than a servant. Let's look at the passage. If you want to open up to Luke 10. We're going to start with verse 38. It goes through verse 42. I'm not going to read it all again since we just read it. Um, But take a look at it. So in this passage, what what exactly is going on? Uh, Jesus is going to Bethany, I believe is the name of the town, to visit his buddies, Mary and Martha and their brother, Lazarus. Anybody remember a guy named Lazarus? He's very famous for dying Um, and being raised from the dead. A really amazing story in the Bible. Jesus wept, the shortest verse in the Bible, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Jesus wept for his friend, and then he prayed. I believe, that part's not in there, (laughs) that God would allow him to pray for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. And he did. And it was four days. And it's like Galilee. So as the verse says, he stunk. Lazarus stunk. He'd been there for four days. He was way dead, like super dead. And he came back from the dead. And so he is now visiting Lazarus' house. They probably grew up together, Jesus with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. We don't know for sure, but he visits them several times throughout the Gospels. And so he's with his friends there in Martha's house. Martha's probably the older sister. Um, and so Jesus comes, we're not sure if he's expected or unexpected, but when the Lord comes to your house, you want to provide a good meal and a good service, maybe clean up a bit, right? Jesus came, and they know who Jesus is. He's not just their friend. They call him Lord, okay? And so Jesus is there, and Martha's like, all right, she's the big sister. It's her job in, the, in, the, in that culture as the, the woman of the house to provide the meal, provide the service, and all that kind of stuff. And so that's what she is doing. She's, I don't know if she's making a walleye sandwich from the Sea of Galilee or, or what she's making, probably something even more elaborate. Um, and Mary is doing what? Yeah, nothing. She's doing nothing. Certainly from Martha's point of view, she's doing nothing. And in reality, she's doing very little. She's just sitting with Jesus, just being with him. She's not trying super hard to do something, she's not trying super hard to change or to be a better person. He's just being with Jesus, sitting at his his feet. Yes, and then what happens to Martha? She gets distracted with much serving, it says in verse 40. Jesus says, you're anxious, you're you're, uh, upset about all these things. She gets frustrated, and you can sort of understand that, right? Okay, so picture Martha. Jesus comes over, you want to make a nice meal for Jesus, because he's Jesus. And so, you know, you go outside, this is the olden days, like the way olden days. Okay? So, like, you want a chicken dinner? You go back, you grab a chicken, you kill it, you pluck it, you gut it, you prepare it, you cook it over an open fire pit. That takes time. That takes work. I don't gut my chicken when I eat it. I go to Costco, and it's even cooked already for me. Okay? This, This is a long time ago. This was a lot of work. And you can sort of understand how she'd be a little annoyed. You can see at the beginning, maybe she's like, yeah, I, wish, I hope Mary comes. I'm sure she'll come. She's just saying hi to Jesus. She's real chatty that Mary. Um, and, and then time goes on, and it gets longer and longer, and she just starts fuming and getting more and more upset. More and more. Where is that? She's always doing this. me. She is always doing this. me. And she gets really upset. She gets really angry um, because she's so distracted. And that anger starts to boil over. It goes from anxiety and frustration to anger and to judgment. She's judging her sister for not doing the right thing, according to her, not doing the right thing. And so then she comes out, and she says, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care, verse 40. Those are five important words. Lord, don't you care? See, her priorities were out of whack. She probably didn't realize it, but her problem is that her priorities were out of line. And so she started to doubt that Jesus even cared about her. I don't know if anybody's ever been there. I've been there. That's a symptom that something is wrong. Being super judgmental, being super anxious, being super angry, yelling at people, all symptoms that something is wrong, but doubting whether God even cares about you, that's a problem. A problem that Jesus wants to fix, because he addresses it right away. She says, don't you, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. So she comes out. She scolds God. like you, It's very big sistery, right? She scolds God. Like, God. He invented Mount Fuji and all this other stuff. God. She scolds him, and then she orders him around. Don't you even care that she's not helping? Now tell her to go do that. Tell her to do the right thing. Um, she's in a bad place, I think. In her heart. Uh, something's wrong. Something major is wrong with Martha. And we're going to talk about more about what that is in a second. Um, what she was doing wasn't so much what was wrong. It's not wrong to serve God. Okay? Serving God's awesome. Serving God's wonderful. Jesus spends quite a bit of time talking about how great it is to serve God. Okay? That is good. And it wasn't even that she got upset. You know, sometimes we get upset. That was, those were all symptoms of the problem. And so she yells at Jesus. And look at how Jesus reacts. This is really interesting. Verse 41. The Lord answered her, Martha. Martha, you are so anxious and troubled about many things. He's not cruel. He's not mean. And notice he's not condemning. She's really messed up, and it's led her to sin. It's led her to judgment. It's led her to scolding God for no reason. It's led her to ordering God around. This is bad stuff, right? And yet, he doesn't yell at her. There's no condemnation here from Jesus. He corrects her because her behavior is bad for her. What she's doing wrong, the problem that she has, is causing her a ton of problems right now. And so Jesus corrects her because he loves her. He wants her to not have these problems anymore. He wants her to not be anxious and to not be judging her sister and to not be you know, having all these troubles. Um, and so he does correct her out of love. But he's very tender. He's very loving. You would expect, I would expect, Jesus to get a little more like, dad, and yell at her, maybe spank her or something, verbally at least, right? Um, A lot of us have a picture, a picture in our mind of God that is angry God. I call him angry God. Um, He's typically a mean old man in the sky who's a little crotchety. He carries a big stick, and he's just up there waiting for you to mess up so he can smack you with that God stick. Quit screwing around. Do the right thing. Knock it off. You're a terrible person. Not God at all. Angry God is not real. That is the devil's perversion of a loving father. Please listen to this. (laughs) That is not real. That is not who God is. God doesn't act like that. Um, Another example. A few of you will love this because this is super nerdy. First Lord of the Rings movie. Towards the beginning, Bilbo is talking to Gandalf. Gandalf is trying to get him. Amen. Preach it. Gandalf is trying to get him to give up the ring, the Ring of power, right? And Bilbo says, no, you want it for yourself. And Gandalf says, Bilbo Baggins! <laughs> and he gets really huge, and the sky gets dark, and the house creaks. And why does he do that? To intimidate, to scare, and to force Bilbo to doing what he wanted him to do. God is not Gandalf. Quote oh, board. God is not Gandalf. That's not how he does stuff. He doesn't do intimidation or fear or force. That is not how Jesus operates. That is not how he operates. Look at how tender he is to her. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't even remind her of her sin until the very end when he says what Mary's doing is better. There's conviction here, but there's no condemnation at all from Jesus. Martha, you're anxious and troubled. About all these things. But one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion. And it will not be taken away from her. <laughs> How was Thursday night? Good. Nate taught us that God is not Gandalf. Changed my life. Changed my life. All right. Wh- let's, uh, let's take a pause. Let's pause the sermon for a second and discuss. Let's get into groups of like three or four-ish. Can we take? Um, and we're going to discuss the following question. In what ways do you find yourself to be more naturally like Mary or Martha? Which one do you feel like you're more naturally like, Mary or Martha? I'm a Martha all the way, personally. Um, that's just how I naturally am. But how about you? Are you more naturally like Martha and you're attracted towards serving and doing stuff, or you are more like Mary and you're attracted to being and to being more, more relational and spending time? And that's really it. Uh, so, talk. Cluster into like threes or fours. Even if you don't know them, it's okay. Everyone here is nice. We're going to be nice to each other and love each other, okay? So talk about this for a couple of minutes. It's a safe place. If you don't want to share, that's okay. You don't have to share. No one's going to judge you for that, but I encourage you to. Mhm. What's cool?
1: I'm I'm more of a Martha.
0: I am um where you need to get off your bike. You, you do tons of it. pass this point. You yeah uh, know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> that's the trouble. Their, uh, um, yeah. It sends out the situation. That's so good. Yeah, the clip uh, of the clip. Yeah. I have a hard time understanding yeah. doing nothing. Yeah. I, mean,
1: I do it. I learn it.
0: <laughs> <at the beginning. laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. All right, let's wind it up or wind it down. I don't know. Wind it. Just wind it. Yeah, it'll be on at the end for sure. Or you can just tell David to put it up if you want, a big, you want it in the picture. All right, thank you. good job winding. Good job winding, y'all. Okay, so what was, what did you think? Are you more naturally Mary's or Martha's, Both of which have, you know, some advantages and some disadvantages, right? Um, I'm more naturally a Martha, and so it's tough for me to focus on the relational stuff. It's tough for me. I just, it's taken years of God working on me and good teaching and mentors and small groups and things like that in my life. Years of that for me to get to the place where I understand that spending time with God without an agenda is super productive. That relationships are super productive. Because I think productivity, I make lists. I write something on a list just to scratch it off, to be like, got it done. That's, that's me. Some of you find that bizarre or disgusting. I'm sorry. Um, but that, that's the way I am. I, I want to get stuff done. And so when Jesus is like, I want you to come and I want you to pray and I want you to be with me and I want you to listen to me and, and, and just receive the spirit of God filling your life, that's harder for me. I don't naturally gravitate towards that idea. I naturally gravitate towards give me a task and let me do that task. Okay? That's more like Martha. Um, And so for me, the relational stuff can be harder. For people who are more naturally like Mary, um, that is helpful because Mary chose better. Right? She had an easier time gravitating towards that one thing. But Mary's have a tendency to never want to get up off the floor. Amen? And at some point, Jesus sends out the seventy-two. That's at the top of the mountain. That's at the the beginning of the chapter. Jesus sent out the whole church. Go, do stuff. But I want to stay in your presence, Lord. Oh, I love you too, but this is time to go. It's time to go now. Okay? So Mary's going to have a hard time with that. Hard time with stuff that isn't as relational. Um, And the key is to to make serving God and to make ministry into a relational thing for you. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, So we are created to be human beings and not human doings. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Chitching. We're created to be human beings, not human doings. But doing comes easier for a lot of people. Even Mary sometimes have an easier time just doing stuff. God, just give me a task and let me do it. So I'll, I'll be done. I, I want to serve you. Give me a task, let me do it. But God's primary desire for you is not that you do tasks for him. He's got a lot of angels for you. His primary purpose for you is that you be with him. Being more than doing. Tasks are great. Serving the Lord is wonderful. It wasn't wrong for Martha to be serving God. What was wrong is that her priorities were out of whack. And serving God ended up coming above her relationship with God himself. And some people don't distinguish between the two, and they don't understand that there's a difference between serving God and fellowship with God, that there is a difference. The, The Gospels are full of examples of the difference, actually. Uh, Mary and Martha is just one. There is a difference. And serving God is awesome. We all want to serve God. God wants, God wants us to serve him more and more. He wants to use us to change our communities, to change our families, our jobs, our schools, our world. But more important than that, the number one priority has to be God himself. Jesus has to be Lord. Amen? Jesus wants to be Lord. He wants us to be with him. It's easy to fill our life with stuff, to fill our time with stuff, spiritual stuff, good stuff. Bible study, small group, worship, services, stuff like that. Those are all good things, but they're only beneficial if God wants you to be doing them right now and if they bring you into greater fellowship with the Lord. Otherwise, it's just stuff to fill your time with. Um, another, another issue here is a lot of people have a kind of a performance-based Christianity. Okay, the word for that is religion, a performance-based thing where they do stuff for God, serve God, in order to earn his love or his approval. I don't want to get too psychologist on you, but, like, they're trying to get daddy's approval. Or affection. Um, And here's, here's the thing, guys. Jesus already loves you as much as possible. He already loves you as much as possible. He didn't choose you to join his company and work for him. He chose you to be adopted as his son or daughter. He loves you. That is his primary purpose for your life, to be his child. And the most important thing in your life, the one thing necessary is to learn what it means to be his child. To start to enjoy it. To start to live in it. To start to use the fact that you're a child of the king of the universe to your advantage. In humility and submission to the Holy Spirit, yes. But that's the favor piece that we'll talk about later on. Um, God doesn't work on a merit badge system. Okay, We don't earn brownie points to eventually get promoted in heaven. That's not how it works. Doing stuff for God doesn't get us promoted in heaven. Becoming more like Jesus gets promoted in heaven. There's a big difference because that's not naturally how we think, especially in the Western world and in America. We think that doing more stuff is going to earn us that promotion because that's how it works in the world, but it doesn't work that way in the spirit. Obedience is good. We definitely want to obey. But just doing stuff for God, even if it's good stuff, isn't what gets us really to the next level. It's becoming more like Jesus. That's what he wants from us. He wants us to become more like his son. And like I said, there's tons of passages about this. Another one is the prodigal son. You all know that one probably good Sunday school pastors the prodigal son he takes his inheritance early disinherits his family goes off to a faraway land forsakes God and his family and everything else uh, lives super sinful life with prostitutes and all this stuff and then he's like I'm starving I'm dying this is terrible even my father's servants have it better than me I'm gonna go back and beg for a job from dad maybe he'll forgive me enough to give me a job and so he goes back to his father and he says please take me back as one of your hired servants and dad says heck no because he doesn't want his son to serve him primarily. He wants his son to be with him. And so he puts the family ring on his finger and the robe on him and the sandals on his feet. You're not a servant. You're my son. And there's a difference. The father didn't want him to primarily serve him. He wanted him to be with him. The fellowship. The son thought that all he deserved would be to be a servant, because he was terrible to his dad. He was terrible to everything. All I deserve is to be your servant. And the father disagreed. And that's his prerogative, to forgive. And see, God disagrees with that idea, too. If you feel like you don't deserve to get closer to God, to spend more time with God, to receive God's love more and more, that you don't deserve that, God disagrees. Because he sent Jesus to make a way so that you did now deserve it. If Jesus is in your heart, if you are part of the family of God, then he's already made that choice to forgive you, to adopt you. You deserve it now because you're his kid. And you no longer have a choice <laughs> about whether or not you deserve it. You just do. You've got his love already. You don't have to earn it. Um, you, you can't serve your way into more and more of his love. Another, another passage is John 15. Remember that one? The vine and the branches. On the vine and the branches. It's a great analogy. And it's about bearing fruit, which is about serving. Again, bearing fruit means like doing things for God that then are productive. Like bringing a friend to the Lord that you've been praying for for years and years, and then they come to the Lord. Helping someone out who's in trouble, and you show God's love to them. Bearing fruit. And Jesus says, it's good to bear more fruit, it's good to bear better fruit, and in order to do that, in order to be a better servant, you need to spend less time serving and more time with Jesus. Which makes no sense. Jesus often makes no sense. Seriously. To be a better servant, you serve less. (laughs) Makes no sense. You abide in me, is what Jesus says in John 15. See, the, the, the vine is the giant part of the, of the grape plant. It's like a big tree-trunky-looking thing that usually is dressed this way. And then the branches are the part that come out that the grape grows. Grape's growing. Okay? And Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And the way a branch gets bigger and better fruit is that you prune it so that that connection between the vine and the branches gets bigger. And the best vines you will see, they have a connection that's like literally this big. It goes down to a tiny, tiny branch. But the connection at the top is immense. And that's what Jesus was talking about. He literally brought him to like a vineyard and said, look at this. This is what I want you to do. He wants you, want you to be more connected to him, to abide in him. And that's how we produce better fruit. That's how we serve God better is by abiding in the Lord. So, again, all these passages go back to the, the same concept that the one thing necessary in our life, above everything else, is our fellowship with God, not service, not other stuff, the number one priority has to be our fellowship, our relationship with the Lord. Let's discuss again, in your groups, what would it look like for you to be more like Mary than Martha? In this context, to spend more time with Jesus, to focus more on your, on your fellowship with God than you do now, what would it look like for you to be more like Mary than Martha? Discuss. Go. Ready to go. Okay, let's work towards wrapping up again. And David, could you throw up the mountain image again? The one with the graphic on it? The second one. Thank you. Okay, so the one thing necessary in our life is our relationship with Jesus, our fellowship with God. That needs to be our number one priority. Um, It needs to be our base camp. okay. It's where we live. It's where we focus uh, the majority of our spiritual energy if you want to put it that way. The majority of our spiritual energy should be focused on God himself. And he really does deserve it. He really does. Um, and so that's our base camp. That's where we live. And from there we make excursions to do ministry and to do other, other great stuff for God. Um, but we always come back we might spend an overnight up there because it's far, but like then we come back. Okay, this is where we live. We live in that relationship with God, growing closer and closer and closer to Jesus all the time. Um, Tony's in the boat. The water is a symbol of the presence of God, and uh, that's, that's that's Tony in the boat, out in the middle. Jesus. Um, so if if at some point God doesn't become our number one priority in any area of our life. If we get out of sync, people's priorities get out of sync, it messes up our lives. It messes up stuff. And, you know, this passage is just talking about service in particular, but it could be anything. Maybe Jesus is Lord of your life spiritually, but he's not Lord of your life in finances. My money's mine. I spend it the way I want. Well, if Jesus is Lord of your life, he's Lord of your life life, like the whole life, right? He's Lord of your life in your relationships. He's Lord of your life with your family. You can't be a wonderful Christian here and a jerk to your parents. It doesn't work. Jesus is Lord of your life, or he ain't. He wants to be our number one priority in everything, in every aspect of our life, in our career, absolutely everything. And if that gets out of sync somehow, if it goes from number one to number two, or three, then it messes us up like it did with Martha. And this happened to me. Um, I started doing ministry when I was in high school, and when I was a college student, I was pretty much doing ministry full-time, to the detriment of my GPA at times. And uh, um, and I started seminary at the Master's Institute here in the Twin Cities. Amen. And uh, somewhere in there, towards the end of college, beginning of seminary, somewhere in there, my priorities got out of sync. I didn't know it, but I started getting messed up. I started getting, um, well, grouchy. I started getting grouchy, angry, and um, really upset and judgmental, particularly against the church. I would see all the things that the church, church was a big C, like all the churches, you know, All the things they're doing wrong. They're not reaching out to young adults. Nobody in our generation is going to church. And that's their fault. Why don't they shape up God? Why don't they do this stuff better? Why don't we see what we see in the Bible? Why don't we see all this stuff? I started to get really angry, really judgmental at the church in particular, pointing the finger. Like, this is terrible. This is bad. I wanted God to just nuke it and raise a new church out of the ashes that really followed after what God wants us to do. And a tiny part of that was actually godly, and good, and something God had been giving me. That being, I believe God does want to raise up a new generation of Christianity in our day, and to do things that we have always been intended to do, and haven't most of the history of the church. God does want to do that, but that sense I was getting from the Lord was totally perverted and polluted by my terrible attitude, by being totally judgmental, because God is actually not in the business of destroying. He's in the business of redeeming. That's what he wanted to do. But I was really judgmental. I was getting crotchety angry. And it was, it was like all the time. I was just a terrible editor all the time. It was affecting my marriage negatively. You didn't get that. Um, <laughs> I was being super <laughs> negative. And it was like second or third month um, of seminary. And I had reached like the breaking point. I was sick of myself. I couldn't handle myself anymore. I didn't want to be around me, let alone what everybody else must have thought. Um, and so I did what I should have done way back, you know, months back when this started, was humbled myself the Lord. And I know I talk about humility every single time I preach. And if you're getting sick of it, tough. I'm going to keep doing it. Because it is one of the most important things in our spiritual life. Humility before the Lord. I humbled myself before God and I said, God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know if I'm mentally ill, if I need deliverance, if I'm doing everything in my life wrong. I don't know what it is, but I need your help. I need you to fix me. Please. And I started to repent of that judgmentalism. I started to repent of the negativity. Okay, repentance literally means to turn back to Jesus. Okay, So you confess, you ask for forgiveness and, and you say, God, help me turn back towards you. Um, and I started repenting even though I didn't have a change of heart. I still was super negative and judgmental <laughs> and angry and stuff. Um, but I repented because I knew it was the thing to do. And um, I was seeking the Lord and he brought me to this passage um, at the end of Luke chapter 10. Now, I have read the story of Mary Martha many times, uh, many, many times. And this time when I read it, the Holy Spirit spoke it off the page into my soul. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but it's awesome. It's one of my favorite things about reading the Bible. That's I read, one of the reasons reading the Bible is so awesome. Because this is the infallible and awesome word of God. God wrote this, which means he intended it to stick around. And he will use this to speak directly into your life in a way that really nothing else in the world can. Um, and that's what happened. And I read this, and the Holy Spirit is just like, look at Martha. Look at Martha. And I'm like, all right. Look at Martha. What what is Martha? She's anxious. She's frustrated, upset, even angry. She's judgmental. She's pointing the finger at everybody else. And I'm like, wow, that is a really good description of me right now. That's exactly where I'm at, God. And I saw that it wasn't that she yelled at Jesus or whatever that was her problem. That was a symptom of her problem. The problem was back in verse 40, where it says, but Martha was distracted with much serving. Was distracted with much serving. And I'm like, that's what happened. I got distracted somehow along the way. I don't know when. Somehow I got distracted with doing all these great things for God that I kind of forgot about God. (laughs) I still love Jesus. I still spent time with him. But he wasn't the number one thing in my life. And that's the point where I realized that I was breaking the first commandment. First commandment is, I am the Lord your God. You will have no other gods before me. No other idols. And before me doesn't mean above me. It means in my presence. Like, come before the king. Right? And so you will have no other gods in my presence. Period. And I realized I had created an idol. I had created an idol out of serving God, something good. I don't know how it happened. I don't know when it happened. I didn't consciously decide, I'm going to build an idol. I mean, it just, it just happened. And God showed me that, and I'm like, oh, man. And I got down on the floor, and I repented before the Lord. Um, and Jesus was very much like he was with Martha, me at that time. And I remember he said three things. Three specific things. After I repented, I confessed, asked for forgiveness, and just, you know, spent some time there on my face. (laughs) And uh, Jesus said, I forgive you. He said, I love you. And then he said, I miss you. Sorry. (laughs) Um, The Lord told me beforehand that there are some people here tonight that need to hear that that Jesus misses you. I'm not trying to manipulate you emotionally or anything. It's just, I'm not used to uh, the level of the Holy Spirit that has been on me in the last months. So my body's still adjusting to it, as are my emotions. And, um, but the Lord wants some of you to know that he misses you. Um, Why don't we just stop there and pray? Could you just close your eyes? Maybe take a deep breath. And let's humble ourselves before the Lord, just in your own heart. Just bow your heart to him. Open up to hear him, whatever he might want to say. And I'm going to pray a prayer, and if you could just agree with this prayer in your heart and, and just pray the same thing for yourself. Jesus, we thank you that you promised us that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth and that he would convict us when we needed to be convicted And so, Holy Spirit, we invite you now. I invite you to come into my heart. I invite you to come into my heart and convict me of anything I need to be convicted of. Are my priorities out of whack? Is there an area of my life that you are not really Lord right now? Show me that. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. I invite you to come in and to put your finger on any area of my life that you want to deal with. Let's just take a moment just to listen. i keep our eyes closed and just stay in prayer for a moment. Uh, maybe the Lord is putting his finger on something in your life, convicting you. Understand that he does not condemn. Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But he does convict, like he did with Mary, because he wants to help us. Because if we're doing something wrong, that's bad for us. And so if you're feeling a sense of conviction about anything, whether we something we talked about or something else, Um, the way we respond to the conviction of the Holy Spirit is by repenting. Repentance is the natural response to confess, to say we're sorry (laughs) to God for whatever it is that he's putting on our heart. And so if if you need to repent, I encourage you to do that now. We're just going to take a few minutes just to stay in prayer, not in groups, just you and God. We're just going to stay in an attitude of prayer. And if you need to repent, I personally, if you need to repent, I would encourage you to Get off your chair and get down on your knees or sit on the floor, like Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. All throughout the Bible, when people repent, they get down on the floor, they get down on the ground as a physical sign, an action of how they are submitting and humbling themselves before God. I'm going to sit on the floor because <laughs> during that time, the Holy Spirit brought something to my attention that I need to repent of, something not even on topic from tonight. And so maybe the Lord will bring something to your mind that you need to repent of. Um, we're just going to take a few minutes now in prayer, just you and God, a few minutes just at the feet of Jesus. We're going to play some music in the background, real quiet. So just spend some time with the Lord. If you need to repent, do it.
1: I mean that, Father. We really want you to work in our heart. We want to please you in the way we put you above serving you. And I speak to any who are acknowledging any area of your life that is out of whack and that have confessed that tonight. I speak to you the gracious forgiveness of the Lord Jesus. speak to you time for amendment of life. God is for you. He's not against you. He points things out because he wants you near him, not because he's angry and he pushes you away. But he draws you to himself tonight, and he wants to have time with you. He wants to have fellowship with you. And so that's, that's what his heart is. And we thank you, Father, for your good heart. We thank you for your kindness toward us. And so uh, I want to bless you now. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor, grant you his peace. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We have newbie meetings.